episode number two, the Steve Green Experience. Mike, in this episode, we interview our good friend and the local legend, Steve Green. We talk about how he got to Deep Creek, Boy Scouts, his love for skiing, and how he started High Mountain Sports. We also go over the 10-year anniversary of Hurricane Sandy. We talk about his best honey honey story. Definitely not going to want to miss that one. And what he loves about the Deep Creek Lake area and his amazing family. Steve is a local legend, our good friend, and uh, just a pretty amazing dude. Yeah. Let's start the show. All right. That's the intro. Could you hear me say that was the intro? Yeah, but I can cut your voice. I can cut your voice out. (laughs) Gee, thanks. (laughs) I don't usually. (laughs) So this is podcast officially number three or number two? I think we're calling it number two. Yeah, we'll call it episode two. Well, officially welcome to episode two. We can always do it like Star Wars and do four, five, six, and then go back and do one, two, three. Prequel. We'll see how that goes. I was just saying that um, I got just got home yesterday from a 12-hour drive, and um, I listened to podcasts pretty much the whole way, so I've got a million things I was thinking about talking about, and we'll see if they actually come out. <laughs> <laughs> but today, for episode number two, we were here with the uh, locally famous Steve Green of High Mountain Sports. Uh, what's up, Steve? Not much. Just uh, got some uh, weather change in here at Deep Creek, as it does, and uh, came over here to see what's going on. Dude, um, I think Kristen put it on Facebook. It snowed today. It what, did. What, oh, we just had a bet on this on the last uh, podcast. What did I, we bet? I technically we we bet dignity. I don't some just no, yeah. like no, what, prop, no, what, no, was, what did we bet? What was the date? I said bet? I didn't remember. <laughs> I said October twenty seventh. You said November something, and then Mike took the under with October twenty sixth. Oh, uh, you you're right. But we did say that we had to take a picture. It had to be on the ground. So well, can't we're count supposed it. to get one oh, to three yeah. inches apparently. Well, then I'll take a picture. <laughs> I'm very excited. I've been smiling all day. For the record, it's October eighteenth. That's early for snow. Yeah. I, I could have told you it was going to happen today because I winterized the boat. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Okay, so how many years have you lived at Deep Creek? What do, what do you think a normal snowfall is? Like, I, I get things messed up in my mind. Um, I've been here about 20 years, and it always seems like it starts snowing between now and Thanksgiving, but sometimes Christmas. What do you, what's the earliest snow you remember? I think I've seen snow in September at some point. Uh, it always snows in October, flurries. Um, your first real snow is... You know, we had the big nor'easter. Uh, which one was that? Back in Sandy. Yeah, that yeah. was at the end of October. Um, right. That, that was, was right at Halloween. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, yeah, I can remember some big Halloween ice storms too. Yeah. Man, Hurricane Sandy was intense. I remember. I uh, missed that one. When did we get like five feet of snow? It was about three feet of super it thick was wet so snow. Heavy. It was actually blue. Yeah, like I know it's horrible for so many people. I thought it was awesome. Like uh, it was great. I remember we looked out the window. No, it was at nighttime, and I remember kind of like late at night. It was getting dark, and I saw like some power transformers pop, and you knew the power went off. You knew it was getting really snowy. And then looked outside. It was snowing hard. Then I went to bed. There's nothing you can do about it anyway. The heat was off, whatever. And uh, woke up the next morning. We had like two feet. And then I remember thinking, like, by lunchtime, we had, like, five feet. And then, I mean, it just kept coming down. It was, I mean, it was intense. depending on where you were, I'm sure the snow drifts were just insane. Oh, yeah. Well, that was heavy. It didn't, it didn't drift. No it drift. Yeah, huh. But you couldn't. It 
brought down all the trees because I don't even know if there was leaves on the trees, but it was like it was, it was Lakeshore like, Drive was shut down for like eight days or five days because all the trees fell down, all the power lines fell down, and then all the snow came down. So they had to bring in the snow crew, and the snow crew couldn't work till the power crew got there. The power crew couldn't get there till the electric to the tree cutters. What happened? Oh, uh oh, uh oh. Um, we just cut out together. The school. National Guard. <laughs> I remember the National Guard being set up at Lowe's. Um, they had like a big tent, and all the big like National Guard trucks were at Lowe's because that was the biggest parking lot they could get to. The only times I remember snow being bad, like making change your life bad, is if the leaves are still in the trees. Like we'll get that from time to time. If we get a big ice storm or a snowstorm in October, the weight breaks the branches, cuts the power lines down, and there you go. But the county actually has, if you pay attention and look around, the county's gone a long way of burying a lot of the power lines, so hopefully that's ending. The closer you are to McHenry, the more they're buried, the further out they're not yet. But, uh, mm. yeah, if, if the leaves are still in the trees, there's a good chance we'll have a power out. Yeah, we, we lost power at the store for like three days, and uh, may, maybe it was five days. It was a long time, and uh, it, was, it was a little crazy, but now we have our solar panels with our batteries, so nice. that's not going to affect us these days, hopefully. Perfect. How's your solar doing? Green. It's doing really well. I think it's by the first year, it's probably going to make like 65% of our energy. And then uh, we got those batteries and uh, that's going to, as long as the sun's shining, you know, we have some, I think it's probably about five to six hours worth of power. And then if the sun's shining, then we're good to go. Just keep going. That's actually a great topic. I think the solar panels are a big wave of the future. What, What made you decide to do that? Well, it's been on my list for a long time. Um, you know, A, it's, you know, sustainable thing. It's a good thing to do for our planet. And then uh, B, you know, this whole, um, I want to be more independent. Last year, we had to shut down three different times because drunk drivers kept driving their cars through telephone poles and putting out the power. <laughs> and uh, so it was shut down. And uh, if that happens on a big weekend like Labor Day or Autumn Glory Ski Swap, um, you know, it's going to cause some damage. So um, we're good to go now. So the batteries you have, um, what'd you say? It makes about 60% of your energy there. So the batteries you have will run your store for hours, if not days, if the power goes out. Yeah, I'm still figuring it out, but it looks like we probably have, you know, and if we cut back to, you know, just certain, you know, the things we need, we can probably go a long time. Um, but we probably, you know, the way it sits now, we could probably go to five to six hours. Like I said, if that's sun shining, then we can go indefinitely. So you get immediate energy if the sun's shining. You oh, can yeah. immediately get energy. Yeah, and then like a lot of days we make more than we can use, so it goes back into the grid. Yeah, I don't understand how oh. that works going back into the grid. Just basically the other way. runs backwards. Do you get money though? <laughs> like do do you can you sell it to your neighbors or anything? No. No, you just get credit. So the day like today where it's flurrying and dark out, yeah. um, you got a credit and you can use that towards your uh Bill. Oh, that's how credits work. Okay, I thought the credits were like the offset credits, but the credit you're talking about is, uh, okay, so if I would have spent $10 on electric, but I've got a $10 credit from a sunny day, that's cool. Okay, yeah. that makes sense. They get used up pretty quick. Do they? <laughs> <laughs> We've been thinking about doing it forever. As many commercial offices as we have, we should do it. Um, gosh, and you go so many places. Uh, everywhere you go has solar panels these days. Yeah, and financially, it made a lot of sense. I think you get credits from federal or state government too, get right? Federal and state tax credits. Um, you, you know, you get full depreciation off the system the first year. Um, yeah, there's all kinds of good things going on. Did you on install them yourself or did you hire a company? I hired a company, uh, Mountain View Solar out of West Virginia. They did okay. a good job. 
There's a plug. We'll put their uh, mm-hmm. website on the our <laughs> website. Sweet. So you were actually talking about it a minute ago, right before getting on the solar panels. The snow from Hurricane Sandy was actually blue. Like, Mike, you I don't think you live here at the time, mm-hmm. Kristen, you might remember it. When you went out the next morning, you did that first snow shovel. Like it was it was crazy. I don't know how to describe it. It was it was blue. Uh that's the only time I've ever seen it. Have you ever seen that before? No, the first and only time I've seen it, but it, it was like a weird blue snow, and I guess because there's so much moisture in it. It was yeah. a thundering and uh, I don't remember that. There was a re- I saw it on the news. Sometimes they say that thunder snow is blue. It was like the color of my hat bill. Oh yeah, really? I shoveled at Wisp. Oh, yeah. I was shoveling at Wisp, and I did like a big sh- yeah. It's exactly that. When you look into it, it's like you just discovered a gem under the earth. Yeah. <laughs> like it's glowing blue. It's did so it, crazy. Did it make for good ski snow with it being? No, as it wet? wasn't open yet. It was oh. too early. Super thick wet. So did anybody? Did anybody poach it? Poach the mountain? Jump up there and mm. ski down? Man, it was hard to get. It's around. hard to move around. Is that right? Okay. Yeah. I was. I was excited about it the first day, and my kids were little. I don't remember how old they were at the time, but my kids were little. And the first day, I was like, oh, okay, it's cool. We'll put a fire. The power's out, whatever. We'll play games. And that was fun. And then day two got a little bit old. Day three or four got a little bit worse. And I remember we finally dug out of my driveway. Um, I think I had a Jeep back then. Got out of the driveway, got our way to my parents' house because my parents' power had never gone out. My parents' house were probably long as I take a shower, eat some dinner or something, and their power went out. And I was like, oh, man. And I got the kids in the car and went to Morgantown and got a hotel. (laughs) The kids were little. It was a long couple days. So so that's kind of like my story. So same thing. Like, I'm watching out the window that Sunday night and just these big blue-green flashes as these transformers were blowing up just left and right. I mean, it was crazy. So I get up the next morning. I'm like, okay, if I don't get to work – you know, cause I'm always worried about work for some reason. So I left about four, four thirty in the morning. Of course I'm driving, I have a big truck. I was driving over small trees on my road and I did get out and then going down 219, I pretty much just stuck it in a snowbank next to the store, pulled in, got 15 feet and the truck got stuck. Power's out. So I had to go in, break into the garage. Um, and, and you know, the, uh, garage doors open. And so undo that to get to the snowplow truck. And then, so I'm snow plowing and, you know, every hour, two, hour and a half, I'm getting stuck and I'm not sure why I was in such a hurry. And then, you know, so I had to bring out the snowblower, get the truck unstuck. That day, about three in the afternoon, I look around on the lake and there is not a soul. There is nothing. It's dead silence. And I'm like, I'm going home. If I get hurt, there's, there's just no one around. Like no lights on. You can't hear a thing. It was, it was eerie. Wow. It was crazy. Maybe 2012. I think Is that, that sounds right. Was? Yeah. I was still in I think college. it was 13. What the fact check yeah. this when it's over. It was mm. somewhere around there. I'm sure the entire world knows. I was fighting us. with my roommate. <laughs> so I was in Morgantown. I was at WVU. I was fighting with my roommates. I texted my dad and I said, I'm coming home. And he said, well, we. Not today. He said, we don't have any power and there's no heat and you probably can barely get here. And I said, I'll be there in an hour. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so the best part of the story I forgot is the next day at 1130, my family got in the vehicle and left and went to my dad's house in North Carolina. Oh my gosh. They're out of here. Yeah. You know, no power. No so we water. all love the snow. And the first thing we did was leave. <laughs> well, I stuck around <laughs> so, for a day or two. But they then, were out of here. <laughs> so, you know, I, I'm eating, you know, most of my meals at Arrowhead that week, but they were on and off. Like every four hours, the power would go off because trees kept falling down. All, like you'd be going down from High Mountain Sports to Arrowhead and like you'd have to be careful because trees kept falling off the hill like eat three days later. So are you from Garrett County? Did you grow up here or did you move here? 
So I grew up in uh, Rockville, uh, Montgomery County, outside of D.C. And then I had uh, bus trips up here to Wisp in high school. And our uh, uh, ski club director uh, had a place up here. So he was fond on this area. I went to the University of Maryland, and I couldn't afford ski, so I started teaching skiing. And we were going to go to Greek Peak, and uh, Mr. Myers, Gary, says, ski club director, you should come to the Wisp and teach because it's a whole lot quicker than going to Greek Peak in New York. So I did. Nice. So you actually turned what you wanted to do into a job. Like you basically said, hey, I want to ski. I I can't afford to ski, so I'm going to teach people how to ski. And then eventually you opened up a ski shop, which turned into a whole lot more. But what was the first basis on high mountain sports? I don't, my first memory, I don't think these two remember my first memory of high mountain sports and correct me if I'm wrong. It was just this little house and you guys had it stuffed what? with every cool thing in the world. Like uh, mostly skis though. Right? Yeah. So I started teaching skiing mm. and I was working for Dieter and Ludwig, the Austrian ski school instructors. Now back in the day, it was a really big deal. If you had Austrian ski instructors, you know, the whole glamor thing. So we had Dieter and Ludwig. And then after about the third day, I'm making like $4 a day. And, you know, I'm on Sweet. a winter break as a high school or a college uh, kid. And so I couldn't, you know, barely make it. In fact, I had to move out of my rental house and live on a sofa for a while. So the next year, I got a job tuning skis. And this was, it was called the Pinnacle Ski Shop. It was the original High Mountain Sports. And it was the building that they tore down this year right next to uh, Lido's Pizza. It what year was upstairs. that? What year do you think that was? So that was probably 88 so i think i started teaching skiing in 87 i think they they opened up in uh, 87 and then uh, so was i started your landlord on, my father-in-law was your landlord yeah they, they yeah for them for, um, for so, that little place th- yeah. so it was called the pinnacle they had five owners all these ski instructors okay. and you know so pinnacle wasn't you the pinnacle it was, was high mountain sports you. yeah okay. now i'm just you know this college kid drinking beer at night tuning skis um, you know, trying to pay some bills so I can ski because I really like skiing. And, you know, that's how do you become a ski instructor and essentially become a ski bum. How did you get into skiing if you're from Rock- Rockville? Like, where did you go ski? The, the junior high. Well, actually, I started. I learned in Boy Scouts. They took us up to Ski Liberty. Once again. And uh, took us skiing. And, you know, I can remember that first, you know, day. And, you know, they gave us a half hour lesson and set us free. And it was lights out. So your son's an Eagle Scout too, right, Jacob? He is an Eagle Scout. I'm not. I came close. <laughs> he beat you. That, that 18th birthday is tricky. It is. <laughs> you have to finish it. For those who don't know, you have to finish by your 18th birthday. And I don't think oh. there's any slack. Like if you miss it by your 18th birthday in a day, you didn't make it, I don't think. Not at all. Yep. So I'm doing this, and then uh, I'm thinking I'm going to graduate from college and go to law school. And then I'm like, ah. So glad you didn't. Going to law school is really hard to ski. <laughs> so I, I cut that one out and came up here and I was working for a, a defense contractor down in Bethesda doing some stuff. And really, you know, I'm like two hours a day in the car. I'm like, Ugh. So anyways, I, I moved up here, started working for these guys. And, um, you know, there was some evolution. Now we are over in that uh, stone house next to uh, the, what was then the trading post going way back, uh, the pink building, the trading post. And, uh, in 91, it was uh, Jimmy Raley and Jeff Gosnell and uh, my former partner, Brian Glothfelty. And they're like, you should own a ski shop. I'm like, yeah, sounds like a great idea. <laughs> Jimmy was probably just trying to sell you a building. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so a lot of people don't remember uh, that. I'll get the dates mixed up. But 
1991 and beforehand, what High Mountain Sports is now, where Brenda's and Subway and you guys and Traders Landing, basically, mm -hmm. it wasn't that. It was, uh, it was a little rock house that had literally, uh, by memory, every cool thing that you would possibly want in it, which was Steve's store. And then it had basically like a tourist trap was your neighbor, like just sold yeah. trinkets and floats so and rafts. It's it called the Trading Post. It was a pink building right off the highway. And you know what? Deep Creek Lake salt shakers are, you know, your tooth thick holder. And, you know, they had it nailed. All these $5, $10 toys that you, back then, it was probably $2 back then, that you knew were going to fall apart after three hours, but you're on vacation. Dad, you know, mom gave the kids a couple bucks to go buy their trinkets. And, you know, those guys made a killing there for years. Mm -hmm. Who owned that store? Who was that? Uh, Skip Bernard, Nancy Bernard. Oh, I've heard of them. Okay. So, yep. so similar like Bear Creek Traders now, I guess, is that, but they're, they have like clothes and stuff. Not as nice, maybe? Yeah. yeah, it was like the original, like, I think you don't see those kinds of stores anymore. Mm -hmm. Like you'd go on vacation and there'd be a store and, you know, you'd have the cedar salt shakers as a Deep Creek Lake on them or a plate or have you ever been to south of the border on your way yeah. to uh, Myrtle Beach? So it's not like south of the border, but it's kind of like that. Uh, okay. Like if you can picture any beach town, they have the trinkety, knickknack, uh, $5 rafts. Bosswood like airplanes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, wiffle bats. Like it was appropriately named a tourist trap. It was the tourist trap. Mm-hmm. Trading post. Trading post. Trading post. Yeah. But, you know, the, I think the area evolved over time to, uh, you know, different clientele coming here. Sure. So when you first started, you changed the name from Pinnacle to High Mountain Sports? Or did you did you buy Pinnacle or did you leave Pinnacle and start High Mountain Sports? No, so the former guys that were owners, um, they went from Pinnacle to High Mountain Sports, made that move over to Trader's Landing. Um, and then in 91, it was High Mountain Sports. I'd been working there for a couple of years, um, bought in. And uh, we were in that house. That's Wait, actually, we were in... There was a building where Brenda's Pizzeria is, and we were upstairs, and there was a French bakery in the downstairs. Okay. Um, from there, we moved to that rock house. And if you remember, the inside was Smurf Blue. Yeah, vaguely. I, I went on uh, vacation once, and I came back, and my former partner painted it Smurf Blue. You like Smurfs? You did. And then, uh, and then um, the trading post built a new store for them where the furniture stores, that was the second trading post and that space was vacant and we moved into that. So back then, was it mostly skis? Is that what you guys sold with skiing equipment or cause what year did snowboarding become popular? Snowboarding was probably it was started right in 87, 88 and wisp was one of the few areas that allowed it. You know, back in the day, a lot of areas didn't allow snowboarding. It was like, you know, the, Oh, no, it was bad. I remember yeah. um, I probably got into, I never, well, maybe I skied once or twice in high school. And I got into snowboarding somewhere around 10th grade, I think. And I did it basically because it was cool. Like all the cool kids were doing it. And I was like, oh, great. Who needs a ski on a snowboard? But back then, like if you hit a jump on the wisp, there, I don't remember about the wisp so much, but they would kick you out. Like uh, there were signs everywhere that would literally say no jumping. And no it was all inverted maneuvers. Yeah. And like it was, but that almost to me made it cooler because uh, I don't know when it said, no, you can't jump. I wanted to jump. And I think every kid in the world did, you know? So uh, I think it kind of worked in what it did the opposite of what I think a lot of the ski resorts wanted to do. And there were some ski resorts that just banned snowboarding. I remember a bunch of them, like you just couldn't go if you were a snowboarder and it made no sense. Why would they not want to sell you lift tickets? I yeah. guess skiers we're right. still down to two or three that don't allow it. Really? really? Not around here. You mean not around here. West? Yeah. yeah. Deer Valley doesn't, right? Yeah, I think it's Alta Deer Valley, and I think there's 
third one. Interesting. Might Those be down be to two now. Real hard skiers. Like I've been to Deer Valley before, but I don't know. In my mind, I remember it being really fancy, but I could be wrong. It is, and you know that, that whole Park City. It's where the one uh, percent of the one percenters hang out. Yeah, but. I love skiing at Deer Valley because all those folks going for lunch at 11 o'clock and don't come out. <laughs> Skiing's great. I would of, love to go. One of my best snowboarding trips ever was Park City with Jimmy. I think it was me, Jimmy, and Mike Kennedy. And we went during Sundance. And it was great because they, they shut down all the stores. The I don't know. For, if you're in Sundance, Park City for Sundance, like all the movie stars come to town for that stuff. So they shut down the regular stores and turn them into like Hollywood stores and whatever. And the coolest part is none of those people ski. Like we skied more at Park City or snowboarded more at Park City that week than ever because it was basically us. Like it was us and movie stars. And um, I have to ask Mike and see if he remembers right. We rode up the chairlift. And I think it was Stifler's mom that we rode up the chairlift. Oh, <laughs> oh my God. Wow. I don't know her real name, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I kind of remember that. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty funny. So then uh, what's snowboarding now? Because I've actually seen that. Me as an outsider looking at just somebody likes to do it. It almost looks like, uh, you know, say, 87, like you said, and before, snowboarding wasn't even a thing. Then it kind of took off, I guess, with Burton and those guys in the early 80s, mid-90s, boomed 95 to 2005. And then it almost seems like with the new creation of these skis these have, uh, these guys on skis are just doing sick flips. I mean, it's just, when did, when did skiing become the really cool thing again? Well, you know, everything's cyclical. So back in the day, so originally we started selling stuff. And the stuff was crap back in the day. You you know snowboards. My first one was a black snow. Yeah, you be going down a slope and look down, and your binding would come off the board. You know, cause it just wasn't the quality. And then the bindings were constantly breaking. And back, you know, originally you were using a pair of old Sorel snowboard boots. That you know, it wasn't until like the fifth or seventh year they actually came out with real snowboard boots. And um, but back then, if you were a snowboarder, the chances are it was a lifestyle sport. You, you know, you just didn't go snowboarding. You were a snowboarder. And, you know, that was your lifestyle and how you lived. And it was a big deal. So people bought into that. Um, you know, it was a thing. And then I think it's probably like 2005 where all the skiers started putting parks in. You know, like I said, you couldn't do this stuff way back in the day. It was outlawed. And then uh, they actually allowed it and started putting these big jumps in. And, uh, and the skis started changing. The, you know, the shape skis became really cool and easy to use. And I think the snowboarding went from less of a lifestyle to it was just a sport you went and did on the weekends kind of thing. It's totally it. I remember I totally, I was a wannabe. Like, I totally wanted to be that kid. <laughs> like, I was like, I want to be that guy. And you're right. Uh, the, I got my first snowboard from Play It Again Sports. It was a black snow, and I wore imitation Timberland boots my dad got me from Walmart. Like, that's literally how I learned how to snowboard. Hmm. And, uh, somehow I didn't die. It was great. Yeah. So my other excuse is I'm not good at jumping. So my other excuse was by the time it was legal and cool to jump, I was too old to figure it out. So <laughs> I, at least I've got an excuse. So remember I told you back in the day they had the Austrians run the ski school over here. Well, they brought in a snowboard school. And all the guys that were the snowboard school, it's, it's like a movie, and the snowboard directors, these guys were like the hooligans. And there's it, probably a movie out there about this. But like if something happened the night before, they were probably were into it or did it. You know, I mean, they probably destroyed countless houses with parties. Um, and, you know, there, there was a con the management at the skiery back there was in a constant battle with those guys. You know, it, it was a hoot. 
When did the half pipe go into Wisp? I remember the half when I was was a a kid. Half pipe. When I was a kid, the half pipe was there, and we used to bomb down Boulder, and you would finish in the half pipe and come out at chair one. Do you have any idea how hard a half pipe is? First, like, um, so I've attempted the half pipe. Like, I don't know. Maybe this is me, but the half pipe, in my opinion, is way harder than any ski slope I've ever attempted to go down. Like the half pipe, if it's done right, it's sick. It's intense. It's what? Okay, when was it built? (laughs) Well, there was two half pipes. So the original was a ditch that they put under chair one down at the bottom. Um, and that's when these guys, you know, the original ski school had built this, they, you know, excavated a big hole and they were down there shaping it. And somehow they gave them a piece of equipment. And I don't think that turned out well. It was like an old snow cat. And I don't remember this exactly, but I just remember that things didn't work out well there. And it, was a it wasn't professionally designed. <laughs> And so then they moved one over to the bottom of uh, the face and it was a super pipe and they actually had a piece of, you know, the, the big cutter on the front of the snow cat to build it. And it was the real deal. And they probably had that four or five years. I just remembered I was in college and you guys had the coolest Burton snowboard I wanted so bad. It was a 153 twin and it had Harley Davidson dudes all over it. And I don't know why, but I wanted that snowboard so bad. And I finally bought it from me after that summer. And uh, I actually just gave it away to a kid that I know is 14 years old about last year. It still works. That, that uh-huh. board's probably 20 some years old, held up and still awesome. And it was just cool. to. Uh, why would you have Harley Davidson guys on the snowboard? I don't know, but it was awesome. <laughs> it was really cool. So what, what year was the, the half pipe there? The, the second one? So the first one was early 90s. Mm-hmm. The second one... I don't remember it being no. on fate. I remember when I was a kid, I would have been in like second or third grade. So like 2001, 2002, 2003, or Matt it was Lucas still under. was in high school. So that's same age as Justin. So probably like two, yeah, early 2000s, I would say. That's my guess. Because it was yeah. kind of Mark like. Mark Roberts was in high school back then. It was at the bottom of face more to the left, I guess, if you're looking at the hill, right? And yeah, and it was, it was the real deal. So you got up to the top and it was vertical sidewalls. So at that point, you're either committed or you're sliding down to the bottom. Can you ski a half pipe or only snowboard? I don't know. Oh, yeah. Nowadays, people ski on them. I don't think back then you could. Yeah. Yeah. And there's still like seven springs before they got bought up by Vail had like the super, super, super half pipe. Oh, my gosh. I was just watching it. um, It was a couple months ago. Uh, The one where Sean White crashed. Do you remember that? Where he wrecked up? And obviously, this is Olympics. It's way different than what we're talking about the wisp. But uh, the vertical on this was something like 40 feet, right? Oh. And he was 40 feet above that. I mean, it is – I don't know if you're not Sean White, how do you possibly do that? Yeah, like, that's I, I don't understand that right do that. there. Wow. Yeah. Which we were just talking the other day. You know, this this uh, we've, this we've area has produced two incredible athletes. You got Tom so Wallace, X Games, and uh, you know now he's the commentator for the you know the Olympics, ESPN. Who's that? Tom who? Tom Wallace, mm. and uh, he started skiing over here. Mom and Dad were bringing him up here on Friday night from Pittsburgh, and he was out there until they threw him off the slopes at ten fifteen when the slopes closed or whatever time it was. And first one out on Saturday morning, hanging out with all his buddies when I guess you know when he was a little tater tot. And then, uh, you know, made it big. And then uh, Jason Slezak, another uh, big kiteboarder, um, went to the college, Adventure Sports up here. And uh, I can remember one day, they actually had a built a jump built over Deep Creek Drive down near <laughs> um, where the, uh, the monkey business thing is. Yeah. And uh, right in there. So they were jumping the gap in the road there <gasps> back in the day. 
which, uh, you know, is kind of the predecessor before you, you know, made it big as a, you know, professional kiteboarder. Wow. Attention kids. You will probably be arrested for that nowadays. Mm-hmm. Don't, don't do that. Yeah. They just had the 40th anniversary for ASI it was last weekend. For Out real? Of, I think it was wow. 40 years. No, 30, maybe. 30. Yeah. Yeah, 90s. He, he was in so town. That's why I brought that up. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. yeah. So uh, Tom Wallace actually grew up here, like you said, from Pittsburgh, came down, and uh, there's kind of, I, I don't know him. I've never met him. I've heard about him. But um, it's kind of a joke that if you can learn how to ski or snowboard on the East Coast, you can definitely do it on the West Coast. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, for everybody who thinks about that, and that's something I think about sometimes, um, do I like going to Park City? Do I like going to Lake Tahoe? 110%. I, I freaking love it. But this is great, too, and this is easy to get to, and I think that's why it's so popular. Like, uh, if you live in Rockville, you can get your dad to put you in the minivan or Suburban and come up here for the weekend. It's three hours away. And no, it's not as tall, but it is. there's a lot of diverse terrain here. You you can get difficult. You can get easy. You get jump parks. Like it's just, It is a really good place to learn to ski. Yes, the face is as steep as anything out there in the world. It's just a lot shorter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know? I but felt very prepared can, going out west. Yeah, you make it down the yeah. face when it's kind of icy, whatever, you can ski anywhere. Oh, yeah. So Kristen yeah. just started getting into skiing two years ago. And I remember yeah. you were pumping Again, you yeah, face. yeah. I skied a ton as a, as a kid, like most kids in Garrett County. You used to get a free ski pass if you got A's and B's on your report card. What? So, yeah, when yeah. I was in like third, fourth, and fifth grade, you got a free ski pass. You went on a ski trip. It was super fun. So like that's that's a typical like childhood in Garrett County. I moved away in high school and in between that, you know, you grow a foot, you learn about fear and injuring yourself. <laughs> so when I was in college and I was working at Wisp, I came back and I was terrified to go fast and I lost like all my nerve, but I didn't learn a lot of technique when I was younger. I just bombed every hill. So then I really got into it, you know, two or three years ago and I had to kind of learn the technique again as an adult, which was very hard. But I booked a trip to Alaska nice and i was like i'm going i'm gonna learn i'm gonna go i went to the autumn glory ski swap i bought a used pair of demo skis and i did it and yeah it was awesome the trip out west was amazing but i will say absolutely nothing was steeper than face it was just longer and last year coming off my trip out west i came back here and it was like i love it a lot of people probably don't even know about the whalebacks on face and uh i I don't know probably steve explained to me what the heck i'm actually talking about but at 45 years old, after skiing at the Wisp for 20, however many years, sometimes they still freak me out. Like uh, the whalebacks is in the mostly in the beginning of seasons. Season is when they just blow a boatload of snow. Like they make these mountains of man-made snow mm-hmm. on the steepest parts. So you're going down face and it's super steep. Then you have an uphill and you go up and sometimes it's super steep. And I'm sure there are people who jump off of there. I kind of peek it and tip it over the top and go back down again. But uh. It, it's pretty intense. Like it, it's for East coast is great. It is. And Wisp is known for those big whalebacks. You know, they, 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 uh, so the theory in snowmaking, you make these huge mounds because you want the water to settle out. It makes better, you know, snow. So mm. they like to let them sit as long as they can before they push them out. Um, so that water drains out, but every kid, you know, you know, worth a, his lick is getting up there and launching himself into, you know, into space the ones on squirrel cage last year every day i was like oh, when are you gonna groom it <laughs> i'm so scared i'm yeah. down with the whalebacks i'm not good to moguls no so what's the most uh time you've had on skis how many days in a year is the most you've ever done in a year do you know probably when i was teaching skiing uh you know we were um you know we'd start you know early december and go to the end of march and i was pretty much skiing six days a week teaching skiing 
um, you had to take one day off or your feet would just get fried from being mm. in ski boots. And uh, let you kind of let your boots air out a little bit. <laughs> I always think uh, that's the theme thing with, with any sport. The more time you do it, the better you're going to get. And then, yeah, if you're doing it six days in a row for 10 years, obviously you turn into be a yeah, bigger skier. Yeah, and teaching uh, 40 college kids on a bus trip in the rain, you get things figured out. So um, you started off the store with the basic idea of selling skis and snowboards. Nowadays, you've got mountain bikes, wakeboards. I don't remember what year wakeboarding came into, into play or it became popular. I'm going to give you a hard time in a minute because I really want you to bring back a competition you used to have, but you keep telling me no, and I'm going to talk you into <laughs> I knew it that anyway. that was going to come up. <laughs> and uh, so then, so you started off with skiing and snowboarding. Then just, did you just pull every cool sport that you liked into it? Like, because you have pretty much every adventure sport that I know of, at least, you guys sell the supplies for. Yeah, and Garrett County is a unique market. Like, if you're in Rockville, you could have a bike store and just do bikes. Well, you can't make a living off a bike store. There's just not enough people in Garrett County that want a mm. bike to live off. So you've got to diversify. And we're actually one of a few stores that are carry so much, so many items. Uh, it's not really a smart thing to do. Um, it takes a lot of work, um, but we, we get by with it doing that. And uh, you've kind of made a unique store. Did snowboarding make wakeboarding popular or was wakeboarding around first? Yeah, I think it was probably a similar crew and a similar feel. Um, and again, that original crew, uh, you know, if you were a wakeboarder, you know, it was a lifestyle thing. It wasn't just something you went out in mom, dad's boat and tried, jumped on. Have, uh, have any of you done snow skating? I know like all my buddies who like to ski and snowboard, like they don't even, they don't ski or snowboard on the mountain anymore. It's like the skateboard with the thing. So Justin Liller has one and he did bring it out one day where we did a media day and you have like a little wrist strap in case you fall off. It's a board with no straps, like no bindings and it's on a long ski. It's like a skateboard on a, on a ski. I'm not calling Justin old, but we are way too old for that. (laughs) 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 That is something you need to do a long time before you turn 40. That is the easy way to break I've seen it, but there's yeah. not a chance I'm doing yeah, it. Yeah, that, that's a newer thing, right? Snow yeah. yeah, five or ten years, maybe. Yeah, okay. yeah, and there, there's like this dedicated group here that they're really mm-hmm. it's kind of like a little, um, you know. There's some mountains have certain things about them. That's one. There's this dedicated group of uh, the skaters here. Yeah, yeah, actually, first chair opening day. One of um, there was a group of three guys, and one of them was doing a, a snow skate the whole time. Mm. Yeah. So, and then the other big news is that the group that owns Wisp just bought JP. Oh I'm yeah! So yes. excited. What is that? So, so JP is on the Canadian border up uh-huh. in Vermont. Okay. Um, and it's like the East Coast powder capital, so they get a ton of snow. Uh, I've never been there, um, but it was kind of on my radar beforehand. And now that um, theoretically they haven't announced anything, but theoretically we're going to get some free days. It's yeah. not easy to get to. Um, so I did read that the there is a shuttle that will come get you in the Burlington Airport from yeah. JP from the resort. So the resort is huge. They have like multiple hotels, lodges, housing. Like it's a huge resort in in itself, and the mountain is pretty nice. It's like mostly intermediate expert, but they will pick you up from the airport. It's like ninety minutes from Burlington. I was all over their website. I'm so excited. So the big thing with JP is they encourage you to go through the woods. They're like, there are no boundaries at J Peak. Like, go through the woods, get off the trail. Like, they're they're all about that. Yeah, and it's this mountain that has a real uh, ski culture to it. Like, this ingrained, we are J Peak, and, you know, we're not changing. So there's a lot of locals got really uptight when, you know, uh, 
went bankrupt and, you know, came up for sale, which is a whole different story. Um, but then the WISP essentially are the folks of Pacific Group, evidently their model for running ski resorts is that they essentially let you run in your own mountain. Like Vail, the corporation, the um, Epic Pass, essentially, I think this is changing, but they want you to run your mountain like all the other mountains. So you kind of lose your identity. Um, looks like Jay Peak, and they're going to retain the manager there and keep that cool vibe. Mike and I are working with uh, Mark Fisher at Pacific Group right now on a different project here. He's coming into town on, I don't know, in a month or so. It'd be really cool if we got him on here. He, he may actually come on a podcast. It'd be kind of cool. He'll be here. I forget the dates. He's coming soon to help us with something we're working on. And uh, it'd be it'd be neat to get him on here and get his take on it. It would be really neat because, you know, I've, I, I'm really into skiing and how things work and looking at all the resorts they own and their website, trying to figure everything out. And um, they keep a really low-key media presence. There's uh, one of the new guys that they have, the Kristen, that's a part of their group that does talk a little bit on social media. But Yeah, I saw a couple of tweets that he did. But, uh, yeah, here. With or the Pacific group? Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. He might be the CEO or this. I don't think he's the CEO. Yeah, but I follow on Twitter. There's a guy named Lift Blog. All right, that's the name of his handle. And he last year ski finished. He wanted to ski every chairlift in North America, and he finished that last year. Now he started on Canada. But there's another guy called Storm Skiing Journal, and he covers like the insides of how ski resorts are run, and you know the different passes. And uh, so between those two, you get a really cool. Um, a lot of information about it. So anyways, uh, how, you know, I've kind of like always wanted to own a ski resort and, you know, watching how the wisp runs and things and just fascinates me. So Mike and I sell real estate. We'll find one for you to buy. Yeah. It's a challenge. Yeah. I think I've gotten smart enough now. I know better. <laughs> it's more fun just to go. <laughs> when are we going to see a high speed lift? You know, it, and it's, I've read a lot about this and with ski areas, you want to have a lot of lifts out of your main area to get the people out to the rest of it. Like, you know, if you park city, which they just lost their chairlift, which is another, a different story. But, um, a lot of the smaller mountains were sometimes just, if you do run the numbers, it doesn't make sense because for a, a 600 foot vertical is what the front chair does. Maybe, um, spend, you know, that $10 million for a high speed lift, uh, to get people up versus a fixed grip. You got to do the numbers there. But, uh, well, it only takes five minutes to get to the top. Well, anyway, I, if five well, minutes. I think it's 10 minutes, ten? three okay. songs on my phone. But that would be a good question for him. Cause I'd like, well, that. yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting because they do the rumor is that they slow it down on busy days so that more people are on the lifts and less people are on the slopes. I don't know. I have gone on a high wind. That'd be a good question. They, I, I've heard the rumor that they slow the lift down incrementally. Why on, would they do that on a busy day? That way more people are stuck on the lift and, the, and there's less people on the snow. Mm. Oh, so we probably should have told you this because he might want to use this in the interview if we ask him that question. <laughs> we came up with this idea when we started this podcast. If you get asked a question you don't want to answer, uh, you get a get out of jail free card. And that works true. for us too. So uh, the get out of jail free card is Tiger Claw. If you just don't want to answer, just say Tiger Claw. We're going to make fun of you and move on. And if you ever come back for the podcast for round two and you're locked out, just text us Tiger Claw and we'll know what's up. <laughs> That's the password too. For Oh, never mind. No, it's not. I don't, I don't mind. I don't mind the, the lift here, but when you do go out West, it is like, it's, it's terrifying. My first high speed lift was in Alaska. 
it's cool. Yeah, I mean, so, White Tail has it's one. So fast. I just went to Timberline last year for the first time. Does, so you get there faster, but does the wind make you colder? Wait, in the does meantime? Timberline have Timberline? What's yeah, it Timberline have a high speed now. Yeah, absolutely do. I haven't it, been there since. It's okay. pretty so, Yeah. So that's down like Canadian. Right? Is it Timberline yeah. or Timberland? Why am I messed up? Timberline. Timberline. <laughs> it's not the boots. It's the okay. So, so you know how to make a, a million dollars in the ski industry? Buy a ski slope. Start with two million. <laughs> so you know for for years skiers were going out of business like i think snowshoe went bankrupt i'll say five or six times i mean there's been all kinds of owners down there so having owners with deep pockets is really important i feel like golf courses are and the same way it, it, yeah, they sure. are it's just so capital intensive for snow making uh you know clearing you know just keeping the Trees cut back the season, you know, these $300,000, $400,000 snowcats, you know, paving your parking lot, um, you know, just it's expensive. Mm. And then if you have a bad two or three bad seasons, I mean, I think right now we're last couple of years have been nuts at ski areas. So people are a little jaded and don't remember where things are, you know, like this year has been bankrupt once or twice. Well, I guess that's don't a bet good thing Nature. that a big company picked them up then overall. Right. It, it is. And that's why this, um, you know, the veil, uh, Epic pass that the model there is those guys, doesn't matter what the season is because they got your money in august so now they've got a guaranteed way to keep that ski area open mm. and it's diversified so say the mid-atlantic has a horrible year well maybe british columbia or the pacific northwest has a great year so it averages out um but they can you know right now there's a record year number of ski uh, chairlifts being put in that are in the final stages of construction right now well and there's nothing no one's ever gonna say anything cope COVID was not a good thing. Nobody will ever say COVID is a good thing. One thing that COVID did that was good was it woke up people to go outside again. Like you, you saw COVID sparked a big, a big spike in skiers and snowboarders. It sparked people to go back on their golf course. It sparked people to go camping and RVing again. Like it actually, um, I don't know. For me, I noticed when when I was younger, when I was say twenty five and below or thirty below even. I, I love snowboard. It was awesome. Then somewhere between 30 and 40, I got kind of lazy with it. And then all of a sudden my kids got into it. It made me start having fun with it again. You know, uh, I think COVID was that for a lot of people. They're like, oh, I actually like this. You know, yeah. and people got out of their house. They went skiing. It's the one thing they could do. And they're like, dude, it's a great family event. And if you're really thinking about it, what's what other sport can you go out and have a great day playing with your family? Like it's, it's not... I mean, maybe basketball, but it's not like you guys are going to go out and start a football team with your 10 year old kids and tackle them all day. You know, it's a, <laughs> yeah, yeah, like skiing is actually legit family sport. No matter what your skill level, level is, the whole field. family going to have a good day. And I, I think COVID woke people up and said, Hey, outside's fun. And it just began. Did you notice your sales went up because of that? Oh yeah, absolutely. So we were incre incredibly lucky. So, you know, we, uh, shut down and, you know, essentially kind of did, had to lay everyone off and sitting around for a week or two going, Oh my gosh, what's, you know, the hell are we going to do? And then there was one weekend and during that, you know, really hadn't noticed it, but these folks that have second homes up here moved up here full time. Yeah. So there's one weekend, I think in, you know, we canceled all of our orders. Oh, you know, we don't want the bikes right now. <laughs> we don't want wakeboards. Just hold <laughs> off. Get <laughs> and, uh, there's one weekend, I think I sold like 10 bikes and, um, you know, all these kayaks. So we had like, so I start, you know, Hey, anyone want to come back and go to work, <laughs> you know, and we were able to find some programs and get everyone in there. And then, uh, you know, 
the big companies like the REIs and stuff in the beginning, they didn't figure it out. And the small guys that, you know, cause I'm there every day and, you know, figured out we were able to, in the beginning, we were able to get the stuff and restock, but it's funny cause all these folks, so they move up here, they're coming in the past, they're up here every couple of weeks. And, you know, on Saturday, if it's nice, they took the boat out. Well, now they're up here for three weeks at a time or, you know, just indefinitely, they got this boat sitting there and it's nice weather they're using that boat six, seven days a week. So we need every toy there is to go in that boat. Mm. And we just happen to have those toys. So it worked out really well. And you guys are good about adapting. Um, I remember when COVID first started, we went out, I went out mountain biking one day and I don't remember what I did to it, but I jacked my bike all up and had to bring it to you. And you had a system set up. I remember I called you or texted you, whatever I did. And I had to drop it off into your shed and the slot. And you knew what it was. And you brought it back and you worked on it. And like, we never came in contact with each other at all. And you guys, you guys adopted, adapted. And, and yeah. it, was, it was great. Yeah. We tried to get it figured out. You had out. to. <laughs> you know, yeah. we, we didn't know if the death plague was, you know, we could touch it. We had to sanitize your bike to work on it. You know, we just didn't know back then. Yeah. Um, but it did. Uh, it, people forgot for a while that being outside was fun. And I think we all go through that because you have to, I notice with myself that some I'm, I'm lazy sometimes and I'll be like, ah, I don't feel like doing it. It's cold. Once I'm out there, I have a great time. It's just, you've got to get yourself motivated, which uh, is kind of leading into, into you. I will drive past you running on the worst days ever. Like it'll be, I don't know, negative four snowing with rain. If that's possible at negative four, I don't know. And there you are just running down 219, just happy as can be. Like, uh, I, I just notice you doing that all the time. So I, I enjoy having a snack or two here and there. So, um, and this is, they say this is really bad, but to, uh, keep a reasonable, uh, you know, size, I, uh, you know, go out and run and ride my bike and skiing and cross country and, you know, walk my skis up the hill. And, that uh, is the like only that. reason I work out. <laughs> yeah, right. That is it. Oh, yeah. I know. No. You're uh, among like minds. Here. You know, I'm going to replace <laughs> snack with beer, but no, that is exactly yeah, why. There, there might be a couple yeah. beers in there. Yeah. But I, running is this great thing where the phone's not ringing yeah. and you can start thinking through, okay, what's coming up the next three days? And you can, I really I, need to take a, a notepad with me, start writing things down. But I can run. Um, you know, I don't. You don't get like we went to the soccer game last night. I froze. You're standing there, yeah. but I don't cold, and I'm good to about four degrees. And I start getting frostbite on my cheeks. So, uh, but other than that, I had a nice run this morning. It is funny what you get to, like, or you get used to. This morning, I left the house with a sweatshirt on, and I was like, "Man, it's cold." Well, it was only thirty-seven or forty, whatever it was. I guarantee you, when April rolls around or March rolls around, we're gonna have a day that's probably twenty-eight, and I'm gonna walk outside and be like. Oh my God, it's so nice. And take my sweatshirt off. I mean, a t-shirt is just, it's funny what you get used to. Yeah. Right now is the hard time of year for me because it's not cold, but my hands get cold. Today, you give it a month and you get used to it. Today it was freezing and everybody was like, oh, but in the spring when it's 32 degrees, we're like, whoo, start shedding <laughs> layers down. Yep. No, I, I, I don't, I don't run, but I, I love to hike and I get all my best thinking done and I don't get to get off my phone. I, cause I can make phone calls when I walk, but the more often I walk, sometimes I don't have to make phone calls and that's literally the best time for me. And I started using just putting AirPods in and, um, like you were saying, carry a notebook. I'll just have the audio notebook going and, you know, throw ideas in there and stuff like that. But do you find that too? Like you just kind of come up with good ideas. Oh when yeah. You're running? All yeah. the time. I, yeah. We're going to do We should do this. Why don't we do that? And then, you know, you're like the last two weeks have been 
incredible, just really beautiful here. So running in this stuff yeah. is great. And, you know, we did a bike ride that was unreal here last week. But, and then, you know, I've kind of come uh, an amateur bird watcher because I didn't realize this till about five or six years ago that Deep Creek Lake is this incredible, like, hotel for birds on mm. their way north or south. And, um, like we're in that time of year now where there's stuff coming and like, you won't see these birds in the summer. The I swans, the, when the swans come in, are there trumpeter swans? I don't remember. Yeah. That big flock of swans comes in every single year for like a day. And there's like 30 or 40 of them and they fill the whole lake. And it's an, it's amazing. I see them in front of the shop a lot, but then they go down to McHenry Cove and it's incredible. Yeah. No like, idea. See, I don't oh know. My God, it's, it's like, it's a holiday for me every year. I, uh, I heard Cranesville Swamp is is amazing. I've never been down there, but I noticed it a lot when I lived on the lake, and we were right there on Deep Creek Drive, and I would definitely see, like, uh, they were like, why are they why are they here? They're flying, I thought birds fly south for the winter. It's like, yeah, well, this is south of Canada, you know? <laughs> <laughs> they got yeah. tired and stopped at the lake. <laughs> right. But, but there's these things, I think they're called buffleheads or baffleheads, and they've got, like, they're like small ducks, but they got this mohawk thing going on. Oh, and wow. you see those guys coming up and down. <laughs> And then, like, when they take off, they actually run across the water. It's kind of cool. What? So I don't want to, don't mean to bounce back, but I got to bounce back in case we run out of time. In early 2000s, Steve and his partners, High Mountain Sports, had a competition called Bust Largest, Bust Largeness Wakeboarding Competition. And it was awesome. And How I've been, many times did you enter? Never. I watched it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it was, it was great. You started at... Uh, Wait, I feel like I did something with you guys. I don't know. I watched anyway. it. Um, I trust me, I was not in it, but um, it, it was great to watch, and it was it was neat because it would inspire you too. Like you get out there and you'd see these. One of the first times I ever saw somebody do a backflip was at that competition, and wow. then literally, I feel like the next year everybody was doing backflips. I mean, it, it's it's cool when you sit there and watch people do. And this is before YouTube, so nowadays you can get on YouTube and see people do backflips. But back then, it was just a really really good time. But you said it just got too busy. We started too early. You had to start too early in the morning. The lake got too choppy and a million reasons why you shouldn't do it again, but it was really, really, really cool. Yeah. So when this all started, like they started doing these contests and I think the, the deep Creek water ski club was going to do one and well, something happened, it fell apart. So like, well, we'll do one. And then, um, we essentially for wakeboarding to some degree, we have a natural amphitheater right in front of our store. So we'd offer our kinds of con uh, prizes and it was kind of a low key contest and we'd get like 30 f kids out there and, you know, get a DJ and, you know, start seven in the morning, with some really loud music. And somehow we got the permits to do all this and, you know, very few complaints. Cause I mean, we would, you know, fill to the side of 219 would just be filled with spectators and there'd probably be 30 or 40 boats sitting out watching this. And, you know, we'd run our boat right up in the middle of it. And, you know, we had the DNR telling people, you know, in a boat with flashing lights to stay away. And it was what kind of a big deal. What do you think this was? It's this awesome. is 99 through 2003, something like that? Yeah, I got most of the t-shirts at home. That was the cool part too. The t-shirts were always really cool. Yeah. They're collector's items. So I have no idea if we ever forgot a way to bring that back again, but something like that would be pretty nice. So, so yeah, and the, the big problem there, as things progressed, these kids started getting really good. And the you're probably not going to believe this, but sometimes the water in front of High Mountain Sports gets a little choppy. No way. <laughs> huh. So it became a little more difficult for these guys to throw in. The boats got started getting really bigger, more specialized. I mean, we were using a ski boat the first couple of years. Um so. Oh, God, if you look at the boat that we used to go out on versus my boat now, 
I don't even think my boat now would be considered a boat. Like I don't, I don't it was so different. We took, we took any boat we could find. We would take trash cans and fill them with water and stick them in the back and make the waves bigger. And you had to make all your friends stand on the one side. And then it was so bad on my dad's boat. We were lucky to have a boat, but uh, my dad's boat, we'd make everybody stand on the one side of it. And then you had to get a couple of people to stand on the front to weight it down. So it would plane out just because you wanted the wave to be so big. Like you would get every friend you knew to get on this boat and the wave would maybe be six inches. I don't know. Like, and so now the wave behind my boat now is like four feet. I mean, it's, it's just, uh, and, and I get there by pushing a button. It's how just, do, uh, how do those surf boats work? Oh God, that's a whole another episode. I can yeah. talk about that for seven days. <laughs> okay. But, um, they fill with but, water. But back in these days, everything, you great. tried to get uncle Bob to come out because he was the biggest human you knew. And you just say, Hey, let's go out on the boat. Cause you wanted him in your boat in that back corner of the boat. So it didn't okay. wake. And it was a lifestyle thing too, just like you said about snowboarding. Like I wanted to be a wakeboarder. Like it was when I was in college, and we'd come up here and spend the uh, summers up here, and it was just, it was just awesome. And you'd hang out with your buddies. And the only thing I noticed different about snowboarding versus wakeboarding and stuff like that is, snowboarding you get a whole lot more time in the saddle. You know, you go snowboarding, you're probably going to snowboard for four or five hours in a day or an hour even. Um, wakeboarding, you're going to wakeboard for eight minutes, and then your buddy's going to go and stuff like that. But it was. It was a lifestyle. Even if you went out with your friends and you wakeboarded for four minutes and all your friends went for four minutes, it was two hours and it was just, it's, it, it's a great lifestyle. It's uh, for it, it. It's an amazing lifestyle. Did you get into uh, wakeboarding, Steve? Absolutely. Can you do a backflip? Absolutely not. Dude, I would, I would make my mom stay on the back of the boat and make measure her hands and tell me how high I got off the water. And I think, I think she would <laughs> lie to me. Like I'd, I'd be like an inch up and she'd be like, Oh, you did good. What was your, what was your worst wipeout? Do you remember? I remember mine. I lost my contact in my eye. I landed on my face. No, it gets worse than this. I landed on my face. I don't think Noel and I were married yet, but uh, we were close to it. I was wakeboarding, landed on my face, and my contact, my, my face hurt real bad, and my contact was in the back part of my eye. So we went home, and Noel picked on my eye for probably an hour trying to pull the contact out. And then so I was finally like, look, I can't take this anymore. We're going to the hospital. And we go to the hospital, and the, guy, the doctor in the ER goes, Look, dummy, that's not your contact. That's part of your eye. And so oh. I don't know why I didn't realize this. When I fell, my my face got hurt, and I thought my contact got pushed up in the back of my eye. If you really raise your eyelid up, you see this thing in there that kind of looks like a contact. Uh-huh. It's not. It's part of your eye. So we were at home. And so the, the crash, I'm going to say, kind of sort of hurt. The infection I got from Noel picking on my eyeball for an hour mm. before I went to the ER made it a thousand times worse. Oh, yeah. uh, what was yours? So wakeboarding, you took some hard hits because you were way different than surfing, and you'd land it, and it would just knock you silly for a little bit. So yeah, I think uh, trying to do a three sixty—that was the thing I was really after, and I never did it. But you just get that your head, your your uh, back's facing the boat, and you catch an edge, and you just slam, shazam. Yeah, this will lead into the next podcast. I think I was with Mike Singer that day. The the contact is okay. I think so. I Interesting. Think so. Um, yeah. So, but you do so wakeboarding. What you normally go eighteen, twenty two miles an hour, which doesn't sound that fast. But when you cut in and hit the wave, I, I don't know. They didn't have Garmin watches to track your speed back then. You're probably going forty. So if you do it wrong and you lean on your face, it's not like getting concrete, but it might as well be. I remember mm. one time I jumped off a jet ski on purpose and I, I just kind of wanted to see what it was like and i was going something like 40 or 50 and i just jumped off the jet ski i ended up breaking my ankle and it was it was a horrible idea so people don't think water is hard but when you're going i'm gonna say when you're going over 20 miles an hour and you lean on the water 
Oh, it hurts. Uh, it definitely hurts. And I think that's why wake surfing and has become so popular because you're going, you know, nine miles an hour and the falls don't hurt as bad, um, which I think is similar to the, uh, you know, the, uh, the new foils that are coming out. I can't, mm-hmm. I, I haven't tried hydrofilling yet. I really want to. So, I yeah. heard that you can get pretty cut up though. If the foil, crack. you don't want to land on it. Well, I ha- yeah. we haven't seen any data yet or whatever, but you're being followed by this big metal wing. Right. Um, so there's some issues there, you know, helmets are a really good idea, but you're going a lot slower. Um, but the key here is it doesn't matter if it's choppy because you know, the part in the water, the water. is below the surface. Um, so I think, you know, it's definitely, uh, it's a sport. I don't know. We'll see if it goes huge cause there's a big, steep learning curve. Um, but they're definitely out there. And then you got the, you know, behind the boat, um, and you can do it behind any, pretty much any boat. You know, you might not be able to throw the rope back in behind your pontoon boat. Um, but then you got the e-foils and there's a handful of those on the lake, which is, you know, they're pricey, but boats are pricey. Now you can mm. go out on your own with the battery and, have you seen yeah. an e-foil on Deep Creek? Because I feel like I saw one over the summer. Yeah, there's a couple out there. Yeah, okay. I there, thought that I saw one. There's a kid. I don't know who he is, but it's my mission to figure out who this kid is. <laughs> he lives somewhere down by the Yacht Club, and I'll see him out on my docks in the morning time. And uh, he, he's a long ways away, so my guess is he's 10 to 14 years old, whatever. He looks little. But uh, he has one, and I'm always so jealous. He's always so far away from me, I can't catch up to him and see who he is. <laughs> but uh, if you go down if you go down like towards uh, Turkey Neck, the Yacht Club in the summer times, you'll see him out there on the weekends. And... And uh, man, just like you said, he's, he's out there by himself. That's the only hard part about wakeboarding and wake surfing now is you've got to have people with you. You know, you can't just go out and do it. So that's why I think these elect, what are they called? The ones that have the motors in them, just e foils. E foils. That's why I think they're going to take off. They're they're super expensive. Well, they're ten or fifteen thousand now, right? Yeah, I think probably around Holy fourteen. Smokes. Okay. So, they, but they, that's what a jet ski costs. Yeah. And if you think about it, so you almost got to make a that's decision. A cheap boat. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want a jet ski or do you want one of those? And they'll probably come down in price as the years that's go true. on. Yeah. And Innovation. I, I bet you they're going to take off because uh, I want one. I think everybody, it's it's something you'll be able to do by yourself, and I think that's really important. In these Dude, does anybody know how to like jump with them yet? Like out of the water. We've yeah. seen that. Steve really? Can what? <laughs> he but can do it through know, But you're right. The thing, the foiling is, you know, is a single sport, the e-foil. But that's the thing, of, which back to about COVID, boating, water sports is an incredible family experience because we're all stuck in this tiny boat and no one's getting off. So whether you like it or not, we're going to have a good time. Yeah. You know, like with my family, some of the best times I've had, kids are out of school off the bus, everyone in the boat. Let's go play for two hours before the sun goes down. And it's a good time. One of my favorite things in life is a jet ski. Like, I love jet skis. Always loved them since uh, I uh, I remember I saved up money in high school. I saved up four or 5,000 bucks, and I was going to use it on to go to college, but then ended up getting a scholarship, and my parents helped me out, so instead I bought a jet ski. And that was the first one I ever bought, and it was a uh, was a Sea-Doo XP something that was yellow and pink and purple stickers on it and this is 1995 and it was awesome and it is the coolest experience once you get on jet skis and uh one of the things i always talk about because we have a couple now we still go out on them have you ever seen anyone on a jet ski in a bad mood no it it doesn't happen like i can go have the (laughs) shittiest day ever go home and ride a jet ski for 20 minutes and i'm like oh it's a good day i had a buddy of mine uh they came up to, to visit we we somehow had a lot of house guests once we moved to deep creek 
And um, they came up to visit, and we rented jet skis, and he was out on the main part of the lake, out kind of like in front of High Mountain, and he must have hit something and skipped across. He came off of his jet ski, skipped across, I mean, probably, you know, 50 yards or something <laughs> like that, and he was still happy. You know? yeah. <laughs> I think about that with our lifestyle sometimes. Is it's good for us, and our and you probably do too. You meet people from the city who come up here to vacation and, and actually live how what they want to live, how we live which sometimes makes you realize that we take a lot of stuff for granted. You don't mean to, it just turns into our life. Yeah. And, uh, um, it, it, looking back, I don't, I don't think I would fit in in a city of, for a bunch of reasons, but, um, I don't think I'd want to live somewhere where, where I couldn't go four wheeling, where I couldn't ride jet skis, where I couldn't go skiing. Like, um, I, I always get so excited for the summertime when it's, when it's coming up on summer and it's getting warm outside. I can't wait to get on the jet ski. I can't wait to get on a boat. I just, I love it. And then I always get kind of depressed when summer ends. But about this time of year, I get really excited about it snowing. As soon as I get tired of the snowing, then here comes the summer. And uh, I just, uh, places like this are where I want to live. Agreed. That was not a commercial. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but if you want to yeah. buy a home. Yeah. We might, yeah. <laughs> I know but, a guy. So what is your favorite sport? Out of all of them yourself, you had to, it, it, don't think, what is it skiing? Is it water skiing? That's is it, skiing. Bike skiing, yeah. is it? Yeah, that's that's why I came here. I mean, I just love putting on my skis and heading down the slopes. Um, and, like, I get excited. I like selling skis because, like, when I was a kid, I was just so envious of people that worked at a ski resort or ski instructors, you know. Like, wow, that's cool. You know, they, they're, you know, I wanted to be that lifestyle. So now I get to, like, you know, go to shows and learn about skis. And, you know, we get to go demo skis. You know, I get paid to go skiing. Like, how cool is that? Yeah. And you've been so great with my daughters, too. I need to tell you thank you for that. Um, You've helped – Steve has helped my both of my daughters with skis and ski boots. Uh, is As goofy as it sounds, ski boats with kids – ski boots with kids – it's insanely complicated. I have no idea how you match a kid to the right set of ski boots. And, and you've got to do it because they're really expensive and you want to make sure they buy the right boot and their feet grow so fast. And it, it comes the same way with bikes too. Um, you and your shop have helped my kids immensely with skiing and biking. So thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for coming in. But you, you hit on a point here that, you know, I'm lucky because I get to sell all this fun stuff, but we're lucky because there's very few people to come in a buy a pair of skis that are in a bad mood you know oh, yeah. so we very rarely deal with people that's that the rental bad shop there are people renting skis <laughs> yeah the bad well even then you know you come in on friday night you're gonna go have a good time with your family your friends you know once you pick up your rental skis and the next day you're gonna be out there at nine in the morning slaying it because it's starting to snow and then you're gonna go have a big lunch with your family and maybe sit in the hot tub with a cocktail the, the, I noticed that with rental houses too. When I first got in the business, because it was kind of all I could afford and what we got into, we were doing long-term rentals and where people would actually live. And the problem with long-term rentals is it was real life. People were not always happy. They were getting divorced. I don't know, whatever real life rolled around. Vacationers are generally happy people, you know? So us, when we rent houses to them or you, when you're selling skis, you said nobody's going to come buy a set of skis in a bad mood. Yeah, the the trick is is your transaction process is like thirty seconds. Like they give you the card, and when you extend that transaction process, is when people can potentially get unhappy. 
Yeah. <laughs> when you sell when you're the waiting line to have on sports. No, no, when, when you when you're selling a house, right? Like everybody's oh, super excited to buy yeah. the house and then, you know, then the process drags out, you know, the butterflies yeah. and, until I, after closing and then they're like, "Okay, we're here. I we got the Mike house." I thought Mike was going to bring up I had to wait in line for 30 minutes going to get a <laughs> gift card. <laughs> well, well, we did. Yeah. Well, that too. No. They take great care of me every time. <laughs> During yeah. that COVID thing, you, we were only allowed to have so many people in store at a time. So, you know, I was hiring these junior high school kids to sit there and count people in the store mm. and uh last december from like december 9th to to new year's day we had a line out the door every day from like 10 30 to 4 30 and like 20 people waiting in line to and they weren't waiting to shop and we were so lucky and it was cold out there yeah but they didn't complain that that was it was part of this wait, whole deal i had to wait autumn glory swap i had to stand outside until somebody left and i could i didn't yeah. i didn't know what the deal was i just like walked right in and some kid was like no no, no you gotta go <laughs> you gotta go inside it's not there's your turn line, i'm like dude. oh i'm sorry luckily probably by design there's a coffee shop next door oh yeah, go yeah, grab yeah, some yeah. coffee very fortunate yeah so we started this podcast called not salty because Kristen has a question to ask you. Oh, yeah. It's the sweet and salty segment. Yeah. Well, so being salty means you're upset about it. So what are you generally salty about or not salty about? Well, we're the opposite of salt life. We live in a lake, so we're yeah. not salty. Hmm. Um. See, boring. Nobody cares what you're not. I, I said he could do either. Nobody cares what you like. Tell us what makes you mad. Well, probably the weather, you know, like... Like last year during Christmas week, the ski area shut down for like three days. That was insane. Yeah. So it's like, you know, the, the weather here is variable. Like September this year sucked. Mm -hmm. You know, September is my favorite month of the year. It's gonna it be rained warm. a lot. Yeah. And this year it rained and it was cold. And so happy I got married yeah. last September. So <laughs> I would have so, been sweating. Yeah. So that's probably the thing that I'm, you know, bummed out. Yeah. I'm like, Usually in September, I do a lot of road bike riding. You mm. know, the, the, no one's here. Roads, there's less traffic. And I didn't get hardly any. Don't so bet on Mother Nature. If you come to Deep Creek, you need to bring a T-shirt and a sweatshirt and have a best in four-wheel drive. Yes, I, and a truck. My, uh, you know, I'll get, you know, the infamous Mogi. He told me that if you're looking at the weather here and it's like chance of rain, it'll rain. But if it's chance of scattered thunderstorms, it probably won't rain. Mm. Hmm. Welcome Have you guys, you guys ever, yeah, yeah I was going to say, check that out. Look, the real hard-hitting question is, what's your best Tony Honey story? Yes. So, when we were a little younger, uh, well, I guess I was trying to remember which ones I could tell. This is such a better question. <laughs> Tiger Claw. <laughs> For those who don't know, Honey Honey is a bar in Deep Creek. So, we'd have our big Labor Day a very sale. Fun bar. Actually, it wasn't the Honey Honey, it was the, uh, the, um, what was it called? Round bar? No, the uh, um, Jimmy's Lascaris's bar. Oh, um, so uh, Silver Tree. So after Labor Day weekend, what was the weekend, bar at Silver Tree called? The old boat bar? Yeah, what was it? <sighs> Anyways, that's where you'd go at Labor Day weekend for the final party of the weekend. Mm. So that was always like getting through Labor Day weekend, the big sale. So you could go over there, hang out, and have a cold beer. But there was one night. We were there and uh, with an underclosed friend of mine, and uh, it got really foggy, and it probably took us two to three hours to get to his house because if you, I don't know if you've ever been out in the lake when it's foggy, like you know you don't need oh, a yeah. map here, but once it's foggy, you have no clue when you're. I can't where you imagine, are. yeah. And, uh, and this was for GPS and any of that, so you know, like you're just creeping along the shoreline trying to figure out where in the heck you are 
to get, you know, get anywhere. Trying not to hit other boats and docks. And- no one else was stupid <laughs> enough to be out that time of night with fog. I ran a boat up on the Holy Cross one time like that. 30, 40 feet up on shore. It was foggy. We thought we were turning on a cove. And this was back when the monks still lived in the oh, Holy okay. Cross. Okay, I was going to ask. So you can imagine like Steve setting it up. It's foggy. You can't see anything. We're on our way home from a bar and we run right up on shore. And then the boat doesn't go off, so the prop's hitting it. It's bouncing all around the back. And I remember my friend Brendan flew out of the boat. And then we finally get it turned off. And then all these monks walk down. And I was like, man, I think we're dead. <laughs> it's all we foggy. Were, we you got were, monks good. <laughs> the only reason I almost died was we totally got away with it. And uh, so when that home, when that happened, uh, we actually, I don't know why we didn't think it was going to sink. We put the boat on logs. The monks helped us and turned around and pushed it back into the lake. And then what I did was I walked home and got my dad's truck, which is a couple miles away, came back and got it. And I don't remember, somebody had called the police and the police were like, oh, you guys are cool. Just go home. And everything worked perfectly until it was on the radio the next morning. My mom heard it. <laughs> so we ended up getting caught. <laughs> so but, close. You know, back there was a point that, you know, I, the weather really aggravates me when it's not perfect. Um, but I think in the old days, it was a really big deal if you couldn't ski. It kind of like ruined people's weekends. Mm. But the the lodging, here, the amenities here are so nice. Like they're, I'm on the chamber board. And we'll get some numbers for some times where things aren't that great with weather. And it astounds me. People don't care. You know, they want to ski, but if they can't, you know, there's a hot tub and a big pool room, you know, or, Mm -hmm. you know, the pool table and they can, you know, have three, you know, they haven't seen uncle Bob from Indiana or, you know, and aunt Sue from Pittsburgh and everyone coming after the weekend, have a great time. And the weather was bad. We don't care they still had a good time. Yeah, that's you you see it in the numbers, you know, on those times. That's one of the things that I've learned from selling real estate around here is people will buy a house and they'll say, well, yeah, well, my son's in Ohio and my other son's in Pittsburgh and we're down in D.C. And this is just the perfect place to, you know, get together. But back in the day, there were some old rustic cottages that weren't so nice. (laughs) Oh, okay. You know, it wasn't the focal point like this. So if you ruined your ski weekend, it was kind of like, ah, we're playing this kind of musty in here. (laughs) So I hijacked your story. You were leaving the Harbor Bar. I just remember what it was called. It was the Harbor Bar. You were leaving the Harbor Bar, um, which I used to work at for a while. It was great. And it was foggy and you left. Do you, do you need a tiger claw or what? what did you no, know? no. What, it was just, it took us three hours to get, you know. <laughs> oh, two, there was no climax. <laughs> like, there was no, no nobody we, got arrested. We, did, we or... did not get arrested. We did not make the news. Oh, we didn't boo. hit anything. He picked, he picked a nice story. Yeah. Last week, Jesse was talking about, eh, listen to the episode. It was yeah, pretty yeah. rough. We'll save that. <laughs> well, I guess anybody who's listening to this one would already have heard that yeah. one. Apparently there was allegedly. a contest with the bars a summit contest at all the local bars here and they would hide a notepad on the roof of these bars and people would climb up onto the roof and write their name on it. Wow. That, that happened. Yeah. Jesse was, that's, that was Jesse's story. <laughs> there's a, there's a place you can write your name on underneath the third solar panel to the left on top of high mountain sports. <laughs> yeah. Don't go looking for it. Please do not climb up on the roof. <laughs> Uh, hey man, just uh, to wrap up, I think we're probably getting out of time. Yep, uh, we're just over now. Uh, your wife is probably just as amazing as you are in athletic, and you just had a daughter that got married two weekends ago. Yep, yep. So um, my wife is incredible. She sells real estate too. Um, you know, we were both ski instructors. Got engaged on the slopes. She went to Frostburg. Slopes and, at Wisp here. Yeah, yeah, yep on the face, and uh, 
you know, we've been at it. She's a much better athlete than me because she's focused and motivated, you know, um, or, you know, I might, might have a little speed, but she's uh, focused and motivated. But um, anyways, uh, yeah, we had this incredible wedding over at the Red Barn here um, a couple weeks ago. My, my daughter, you know, in the beginning, I offered a couple suggestions on what I thought the wedding might want to be. And um, I figured out really quick that maybe I should just let them take care of things. And that worked out really well because it was an incredible <laughs> wedding. That's awesome. Um, she had like this, you know, bride of the forest dress that was incredible. And uh, it was a great weekend. We saw, had a, I've met your son-in-law. I think he did the boat competition. Yeah, he yeah, did the dragon that's boat right. race with okay. us. We yeah. did. Yeah. Yeah. And he we, was telling me a little bit about it. It was pretty neat. Uh, Cream of But you guys went on like a ha- family hiking trip somewhere out west. And he you did the half dome? Yeah, so yeah. we, <laughs> it's a good story. We went to Yosemite and Lee had worked out there as a seasonal ranger. So he knew, you know, I didn't know, you had to get permits and all mm. this stuff to show up because it's so crowded, you know, or it's hard to get into the park, especially during COVID. So he set everything up. So we're going to hike this half dome. I don't know anything about it. So about a week before we went out there, I figured I'd better look it up. And it's like this rock where they have cables on it. Like, you know, it's not quite mountain climbing, rock climbing, but it's, Pretty Heard close. It's really steep. Yeah. But yeah, we went in there, we did some backpacking for, uh, you know, a couple of days and then we did this climb and, uh, it's pretty epic. You know, just, it's, if you haven't been to Yosemite, it's got, on my list for oh, sure. I had no clue. It was, it was wild. I think, I think in the next couple of years, Mandy and I are going to probably fly into Grand Canyon, cut across, hit Yosemite and then take route one up to the Redwoods and yeah. kind of make a trip out of it like that. She was like, you know, why would we want to drive with Lucy? She's too young to remember anything. And she saw this quote, the internet saved me. Or it's like, well, that's like saying you don't want to read your kids' books because they won't remember. And Ooh, I'm like, that's a boom. Good I was like, the internet did it for me. The kid may not remember, but the parents will. Oh, yeah. And that's, that's my thing. What exactly. So, so, Steve, man, um, thank you for not going to law school. <laughs> uh, thank you for not becoming a defense contractor and uh thank you for spreading the love of skiing to everybody who's been in deep creek for the past I'm not gonna how long has it been 30 years yeah 30 plus wow. wow if uh if you guys need any advice on any adventure sports there is you need any equipment at all stop into high mountain sports uh Every employee you have that I've ever met is insanely knowledgeable, great people, love what they do. You guys have great prices, a huge assortment of products, and uh, I can't speak highly enough of you. And uh, if somebody wants to buy a house, tell them to call your wife. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, Steve. Bye.